So we continue our sermon series of the book of Romans, and I really enjoy learning what Paul wanted to share with the his church at Rome, and I hope that you have too. So each week we come up with these little cards each week, and so we start with the one about the mountaintop, and so that one's out there about clarity, certainty, and um, loving God, loving our neighbor, loving Jesus, and we talked a little bit about the three key questions there that one week. Then we talked about the, the, the key verses in the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel, and all have, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we talked about going deeper, so that one's out there as well. And then last week, I gave you a little baseball diamond. I did that little drawing, and the key word was about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen on that. And so uh, we talked a bit about conviction, confession, profession, conversion, salvation, which all leads to home, and that one's out there as well. And so they're just little, they're like little cards that maybe you want to stick in your Bible and maybe brings back some kind of memory about the message. So today, most of when you came in, we got, today our key word is transformation. So we're going to read about that. And the key verse for us is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, um, and then I gave you um, some key words, and I'll walk us through that in just a minute in the message today. So those are available uh, for us. Uh, those cards are out in the welcome desk, out in the welcome center, but um, also um, most of you receive that. So let me begin uh, today from the 12th chapter of Romans, and um, I, let me just read a few verses here. I love this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, Paul says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure for faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually we are members one another. We have the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to given to faith, ministry and ministering, the teaching to teaching, the exhorter to exhortation, the giver and generosity, the leader and diligence, compassion and cheerfulness. And then Paul goes on and he says, blessed those who persecute you, blessed are do not curse you, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty or associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone with evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in sight of all. If it is possible so far as to depend on, depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, so saith the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So immediately when I started doing my sermon preparation this week, what was really important to me, right out of the gate, when you get to Romans 12, in my Bible, and that may be different in your Bible, but in my Bible, this is the heading for it. It's called, it's called the new life in Christ. And I thought, well, there's got to be something to that. You know, I, 
I like new, you know, everybody likes, you know, most of us like new, right? I mean, for example, the other day, I, um, for my birthday, I got some Bass Pro gift cards. And so I decided, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of winter stuff. So I needed some, maybe some new winter stuff. So I went to Bass Pro and I went on a shopping spree and it was just amazing. And so I got me a brand new Columbia and this is called, this is not just any jacket. This is a Columbia soft shell jacket. That's really, really cool. And so I haven't even, Matter of fact, still got the label on it. I mean, the tag on it, and and so I'm very excited about wearing the second. Now, what was very interesting, the Bass Pro people actually emailed me after I purchased this about a week or two later, and they wanted to take, they wanted me to take a survey on what how I like my jacket, and I thought to myself. Dude, it's August, it's 93, year, 93 degrees out, and I have no idea if I really love my jacket, but I'm pretty sure that I'm eventually, come maybe December, January, when I put this on, I will love it. I like new. Now, what's also interesting about new, sometimes we don't, well, let's just be realistic. Sometimes we like new, sometimes we don't always like new. For example, uh... Do you remember like back in the 80s, Coca-Cola had this really great idea that they want to come up with new Coke. And, and so there was this Pepsi challenge and the Coke challenge and in the commercials and Pepsi was actually getting a big part of the Coca-Cola, uh, the Coke market. And so they hired Michael Jackson to do, you know, all this, these commercials. And then they got the halftime uh, Super Bowl uh, um, show and it was, you know, Pepsi was getting all this kind of leverage. And so Coca-Cola was freaking out and said, what do we do? So they came up with a new idea. Let's come up with new Coke. And you know what happened? People hated it right? People revolted. They said, we hate the new Coke. Give us our old Coke back. And so they didn't tell, what do we do now? We, you know, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on coming up with new Coke and everybody hated the new Coke. And they just, and they came up with the idea of, now what do we do? We call it old Coke. And so they came up with a Coca-Cola classic Coke, right? So some people don't always like new, right? The other day, my son uh, Jordan, um, about a month or so ago, he was, he's a school teacher and teaches math in mid-high. And he was looking for um, a new job. He was been working in Orlando and he's young, he's not married, and he just was looking for something different, maybe um, a little bit more adventurous. And so he was looking for another teaching job. And so he, um, he told us he applied for several different positions. And then one morning he wakes, wakes up and it came up on this computer that he got this job. I said, where's the job? I'm thinking, you know, down the road somewhere, maybe the village's charter school or something. Hawaii. <laughs> really? Hawaii. Okay. This is good. We're in Hawaii. Honolulu. And I said, okay. So he, he landed this job at a, a, actually it's a charter school that's on the University of Hawaii campus. And um, it's a, it was just, it looked like a really golden opportunity. So of course, you know, you're moving to the other side of the planet. That's a big deal for anybody, right? You know, all your possessions, how are you going to get there? And so we started working on it out. And so true story. So I, I took him to the airport and I, you know, about a month, about two or three weeks ago. And um, I, I dropped him off and I, I could, see, when I dropped him off the curve, I could see it in his eyes. Cause you know, your kids, you know, your kids. And I sensed that this whole new thing was a little overwhelming for him. And I, I sensed he had some anxiety and he was a little fearful. And um, I hugged him and I told him I was proud of him. 
And I told him how much I loved him. And then I got in the car and left. And then he had his two big, huge bags and he started walking down the airport. And I turned around and looked at him as I was driving by. And you know what, I had this, this reflection that was a throwback to my life back, well, um, 20, about 20 years ago when I dropped him off at the curb at Citrus Cove Elementary for the first day of school. And as I was pulling out of the airport, you know, I'm 59. I had tears streaming down my cheeks. So we all had this kind of anxiety. Was he going to like Hawaii or not going to Hawaii? How was he going to get settled in and so forth? And so um, I did, uh, you know, we've been communicating. And so I'll, I'll, let, I'll, t- I'll tell you how well Jordan is doing, okay? So we were a little concerned, but this is the text I got from this week. Dad, now I'm, my way, now I'm on the hunt looking for a surfboard. So that's what he said. <laughs> and he is living the dream. He says, Dad, you're not going to believe it. This is the coolest thing ever. I can go teach school to school, and I can wear shorts and sandals, and they don't care. <laughs> totally different culture. Totally laid back. And that kid is living the dream, which is a far cry from the day that I will drove into the airport and dropped them off the curb. New. And what Paul's getting at today is he is really, is trying for us to understand this whole new concept of our relationship and getting the children of the church at Rome to understand this, this newness is found in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when I think about this, I was reflecting because um, to settle in, I call it settling into your new life in Christ. And so one of the key things, and I wanted to share with you all today, and I'm going to, um, once again, I'm going to put this up on the board, and you all have these actually in your cards. And so once again, on Thursday afternoon, after I finished my message, I, I, put, I went to this little, uh, little flow chart, and I started writing things down. I actually wrote it on a little yellow piece of paper, then I put it to the chart. And so the key word today, once again, is do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Can you repeat that with me and maybe we can actually put that can you put that card up on the board so let's repeat this so here's the key word for today is the word transformation and so here's our memory verse you ready this can we say this together participation in the sermon do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your minds okay Romans 12 1 through 2 so the first word I want you to understand I put up on the board is the word therefore and that really is a really important key word. And the reason why therefore is there is because in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is talking all about having, well, God's mercy on us. And God has continued to shower grace and mercy upon all of us that we don't deserve it. But once again, God is so good to us. And he, so those first 11 chapters has everything to do with God's mercy cast upon us through the saving love of Jesus Christ. Can they amen on that? Okay, so the first 11, so then you get to chapter 12. And there's the word therefore. And the word therefore really is a kind of a hinge to the whole book of Romans. It's a key word. Because you've got everything from the first 11 chapters, but moving forward, now what Paul is saying here about having this, putting on our brand new life in Jesus Christ, from therefore and moving forward, he says, now it's your turn. How are you, as being a follower of Jesus Christ, 
ultimately going to live into sharing mercy and this love that Jesus has for you and Jesus' love in your heart is transformed in living out and showing mercy towards other people. So this is what we find in the second, and when we go and dive into the 12th chapter of Romans, moving forward is it 11 chapters, God's mercy for us. The next few chapters is how do we ultimately share God's love and show mercy towards other people. And so it's really important, and, and so I put the word therefore up here, but I also put the key word mercy. And so, you know, what's very interesting in, in life, you know, we all, you know, think about reflecting upon life. We all need to extend mercy to each other. And um, sometimes it's not always to do easy to difficult, uh, not always easy to do that. Sometimes it can be difficult. So this last week, um, James Dinan, who is the um, kind of the chief writer for the religious section for the Daily Sun, he, he emailed me and he says, Harold, I'm working on a new article. I said, sure, James, what do you, what do you got going on? And, um, and so he says, um, evidently, the other day, um, him and his wife, excuse me, his daughter Claire, um, were having this conversation. And Claire said, and she's, I think she's in fourth or fifth grade, she said to her dad, she says, Dad, you know, she was going to church or somewhere, and he, she says, what do preachers do for fun? And so James decided he wanted to know what do what do preachers do to be able to kind of decompress? What do preachers do to be able to have fun? What do they do besides? And you know, she was trying to explain to her, you know, preachers don't work like seven always have to work seven days a week. That they all they do is just kind of get ready for church and do a sermon preparation. But they they do actually have a life. And so he was asking me, what do I do? with my life. And I said, well, you know, and I explained to him the things I like to have, like to do. Like I like to fish on Friday. I, I like to mow the grass. I work in the yard. I, I love to run. I told him one of the things about running for me is very therapeutic because I do it every single day, every single day. And I said, it's very, it just, it decompresses me. It gives me a sense of balance in life. And I said, you have to have a balance in life. And so I, I put all that in email and I sent it off to him. And also the other things I shared with him is I love to hike, especially with my boys and uh, my kids. And so, um, and so every year, you know, I've showed you pictures before. Matter of fact, I got a few pictures in my favorite hiking place. And this is on the way up to, um, and I told uh, James this in my conversation. I said, I love to go to the Zion National Park. And uh, my favorite hike in the world is that place. And I've, tra- I've actually hiked all over. And this is my favorite hike. It's called Angel's Landing. The view up there is just spectacular. Can you see that? And so there's my son Luke looking out. And so I told him also, I said, I really, really liked that. Now what's very interesting, and when I go hiking with my boys, is that um, sometimes they sometimes they go rogue on me. And uh, they find a new trail, and so I've always tried to kind of hold a saddle on them, and because I've always promised their mother when we go on these hiking expeditions, I would always bring them home alive. <laughs> and so, actually, Angel's Lane is actually one of the most dangerous hikes in the world, I just, uh, in, the, in the country. I love that hike, it's, and, but there is some, well, let me put it this way, there's some risk, and there's reward. So there is definitely some risk on that particular hike, you can see it. Matter of fact, it's considered one of the more dangerous hikes in America, and people have actually died on that particular hike. When they weren't paying attention, they've fallen off. And, um, but there's some risk, and there's some rewards. And you know, it's also um, about you know, this whole thing with hiking and so forth. I also know my boys will be boys. 
And so one day we did our hike and then we came down, we went to a hotel room and we could actually, and we noticed that you could actually rent these little four by fours. And so we're out in the Utah desert. And so we rented these little four by fours. And so first of us, one, some of us went out and then we came back and then I handed the keys to the boys. I said, be careful. And so this is what the four by four came looking like when it came back. And so it, they drove it back and it was kind of wobbling and they had flipped it and yeah, they literally had all four of them had to flip it back, and yeah. I had to take a deep breath, and I showed a lot of mercy. <laughs> we have to ask ourselves about the risk and the rewards. And, and so what, one of the things that Paul's getting at here today, and I think it's really, really important and you look at this whole thing about you know the word therefore and the hinge and ultimately the point Paul is trying to make about how we continue to show mercy to other people is that ultimately he's asking the the group of people and the and his church in Rome is to give up something in exchange for something that's worth infinitely more. Let me say that again. He's asking his church to give up and to make a sacrifice, as he calls it, to become a living sacrifice, because if you're willing to risk that and completely devoted to that, the reward for that is so much infinitely more. I was reading this last week, and I love this story, and um, it's a guy, I, I never heard him before, but he's a pastor out of Life Point Church, out, I think it's out of Wisconsin, his name is Jim Hayes, and he told us a really great story, and um, he says, once upon a time, there was a, a young couple, and um, they were really big into the Civil War era. And they really had this lifelong dream of actually buying a house that was during that particular era. And so evidently, a house came on the market. And um, they um, had, uh, it was like really pushing the envelope of how much they could actually afford. They were a younger couple. And not only did this house come, it was an old ancient house, um, uh, Civil War era house, but it also came completely furnished with all these antiques. So they went to the house and it was up for auction and so they walked to the house and they thought it was just, it was a beautiful house and they thought well, they would never be able to get it, but then um, they hoped. And then, um, so John decided, he took a pint, he said, there's a bunch of people in the foyer area looking around the house. Everybody's looking at the house. So they went, he decides, he goes down to the basement and he sees this old desk and um, it was antique and had cobwebs on it. He didn't really think anything of it at the time. So he goes back up and then he, him and his wife took a thought, contemplated what they were willing to do so they scraped up every dollar and they evidently they made a bid on the house. They risked everything they had owned to buy this house. And they got it. As, G as Jim tells the story. So they move into the house. And so he goes, once again, John goes down the basement. And he looks at old desk, and he remembered reading something about old Civil War desk. And he said, old Civil War desk, a lot of times in the air, they would have little hidden doors in the desk. And so he started fumbling around the desk, and he found this little trap door. And lo and behold, there was a whole pouch full of 
Confederate gold coins. They were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the point that Pastor Jim was making in this story, and he goes back to what Jesus had to say. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The risk and the reward. And what Paul's talking about to these, these children of Israel, these, these people who are part of the early church, Rome, he says, listen, he's asking them to give up something in exchange for something that's worth so much more. Are you willing to risk everything in order to have the reward? And so what Paul uses, and he phrases this, and once again, that's that key word, living sacrifice. And I love Paul's terminology here. It's really powerful. When you think about living sacrifice, say, well, let's just go back to the, the Greco-Roman world, first century, right? Okay, so in that tradition, they would make sacrifices. So there's actually, there are different types of sacrifice. I didn't realize this until this week. So there's this, what we call um, a sin offering sacrifice. And a sin offering sacrifice meant that back in the first century, they would maybe um, sacrifice some kind of animal, maybe like a pigeon or a dove or something like that. The blood would be shed on the altar. And, and, then, they would, um, and then they would actually, cook, uh, some, I believe that they would actually, um, they would sacrifice the animal and then they would actually cook the animal. And then the fragrance of the animal would be a part of the sacrifice and it would be pleasing to the gods. So this is the context of first century Greco-Roman world. So there was a sin sacrifice. And then there was also what they would call a whole burnt sacrifice. And the whole burnt sacrifice is a little different from just a sin offering sacrifice. A whole burnt offering sacrifice meant if you were gonna make that kind of sacrifice, you would go and pick the prized possession of your flock. And you would, it would be unblemished and it would be perfect. So you didn't give God your leftovers. You gave God the very best that you had. And they would call that a whole burnt offering. And what was very interesting, I learned about this week when it came to the whole burnt offering, that everything was completely, when you gave that, that meant in your representation of bringing this sacrifice to God, that meant that everything that you had was at God's disposal. It meant that it represented a complete surrender and complete devotion to God. And so what Paul's talking about here is being, when it comes to being a living sacrifice, that means that we're given our whole self, that we're willing to risk everything in order to be able to receive the reward that Christ has for us. And so we have what I would call a sin offering, and then there's this burn, whole bird offering, and then we've got what I would call the cross offering. And so what Jesus has done for us in laying down his life on the cross, he has completely laid bare everything that he has and every ounce of his being for you and for me and the world. He is completely devoted to God's plan for his life in order that he could save the world, which is just, just beautiful. And so what Paul is saying, first 11 chapters has everything to do with what's it? God's mercy for us found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, and puts it back on you and me and says, okay, now what are you gonna do about that? 
What does it mean for you to be one of these living, well, uh, what, and the representation of, of, of being a, a living sacrifice for him? And I, I love that kind of imagery that Paul's getting at for us today, to be a living sacrifice. What's very interesting, and it's somewhat of a paradox, isn't it? Think about that. Living sacrifice. Living, but something has to die. So you got living and killing. And then what Jesus says, maybe this is what Jesus had in mind. He says, if anyone would come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for mine's sake will ultimately save it. Jesus. And then Paul says, and I love this, once again, this terminology, and let me just teach for a second. Once again, this whole idea of living sacrifice. So the first 11 chapters, the mercy of Christ is shown for us. The next, uh, cha- next few chapters have to do with our mercy for other people. He says, our, the sac- us being living sacrifices of loving other people, showing grace to other people, showing mercy to other people, it should be holy, acceptable, and spiritual. Can you say it with me? Holy, acceptable, and spiritual. Okay, so why did Paul use those words? Well, once again, you have to kind of break it down. Holy means morally or simply just pure. Acceptable means we're acceptable to God, not on our own, but we're only accepted to God, acceptable to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for you and for me and the world. We're acceptable to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Be clear about that, Paul says. So we're to be holy, pure in our hearts, acceptable before God because of what Christ has done through us. And then he says the word spiritual. I love that word. Because what the little concept, uh, connection there, Paul is, of all the words Paul uses, the word spiritual means logical. In the Greek, rational. It means reasonable. It just makes sense, Paul's saying, It's so holy living sacrifice, acceptable living sacrifice, spiritual acceptable living sacrifice. It only makes sense for us to show mercy to other, other people. It's just like the right thing to do, Paul says. So that's what the words mean. And then he says, and here's the key word for us to think about, is the word transformation. And, and the Greek for transformation is the word metamorphosis, which what do we know that goes through a metamorphosis? Well, lots of things go through a metamorphosis. Matter of fact, I got a whole list here. I did my detective work when it comes to animal. I didn't realize this in the animal kingdom, 80% of all the animal kingdom go through some kind of metamorphosis. Didn't know that. So I, I got a whole long list of her, all these little things that go through metamorphosis, but the one, the one that we most seem to kind of resonate with is the word, the, well, a butterfly. You know, it starts out as a little worm, and then it goes through this whole cocoon, this chrysalis, and then it becomes this beautiful, radiant butterfly, right? And we can relate to that. And so what Paul is saying here, when we think about going through a transformation, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And so we got the word metamorphosis, conform, transform, and repentance. And so what's very, very powerful about that is when you think about the word transformation. I, I lo- okay, so this is what Paul says. Um, to Don't conform, but be transformed. I found this quote this last week, and I thought that was pretty good. 
only dead fish go with the flow. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. He says, here's another interpretation. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Eugene Peterson messages, he says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in into it without even thinking. So don't be conformed, but be transformed. And what's very interesting about, you know, the word metamorphosis or transformation is also when you find it, it's connected to the word repentance. And repentance means to ultimately to go through a change, to think differently. So transformation has to do with change. Repentance has to do with a change to think differently, it means to have to do with a change of mind, and a change of mind leads to a change or a transformation of a heart, and a transformation of your heart and your mind ultimately leads to living a different life, which means that we put on a brand new Jesus Christ in how we live our lives. Transformation. I thought this was really interesting. I was reading this last week, and my friend Larry Taylor, actually I was thinking about him this week, uh, Larry gave the uh, devotion at Men's Breakfast on Tuesday, did a wonderful job, and he got, talked about his life, and um, just reflecting upon he was a colonel in, um, in the Army, and had a, a very successful career. He talked a bit about that, talked about um, um, his journey. And at one point early, maybe in the 1950s or 60s, he was stationed somewhere and they, he was looking maybe possibly join the Lions Club. And, um, and so they invited to come and he was thinking that he was gonna join. And, but back this 50s, 60s, so he looked at the rules, what was required of him to join. And one of the rules was that they wouldn't allow black people. And so he, he thought about it for a second and says, hmm. And he says to him, he says, you know, um, you know, I really like to join your club, but I don't agree with this. This is back in the 1950s, 60s. And then he, he said, um, the guy said to him, he said, what's, you know, kind of, well, what's the big deal? He says, the black people have their own Lions Club. And then Larry says, well, maybe that's part of the problem, that you have to have yours and they have to have that. And he says, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. That's not good for me. So I was thinking about the idea of transformation and I, was, I read this last week and you all remember, remember this iconic picture. It's Elizabeth Eckford and Hazel Bryan. Can you show that picture? This is in 19, Arkansas. This is when um, Elizabeth went to school for the first day because the Supreme Court ruled that black people could go to the white school. And so there's this, all this hatred. She was all by herself that particular day. And the reason why she's wearing sunglasses is because the she was hiding the tears that were streaming down her cheek. And so what evidently, my understanding of what happened with this is that evidently Hazel was so full of hatred that day, but then later in life, Hazel had this transformation in her thinking. And she actually called up Elizabeth and said, I'm so sorry for what I did to you that day. And um, later, evidently, they had their reunion and um, there's another picture when they were like a 40-year reunion. And so they, were, they actually had this reunion. They actually went around schools and began talking about not hating people, but loving people through a transformation. And I thought that was really, really powerful. Also, I think it was very powerful to remind me that we still have a lot, whole lot to work to do because evidently after they did that and they did their tour and began to kind of build this kind of relationship, something happened that breached their trust and I don't know exactly what happened, but Elizabeth and Hazel 
Evidently, we're no longer friends. But something happened within evidently in Hazel's heart that a transformation in her life called her, convicted her and says, listen, I am so sorry for what I did. So then Paul goes on and says, and he says, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. I love that. I mean, we think about independent perspective. Don't, you know, don't, because I mean, we're all ultimately one in the body of Jesus Christ. And amen on that. And he says, don't think of yourself highly, more highly of anybody else because we're just who we are. I mean, it doesn't matter. I just kind of put this in contemporary language for us. It doesn't matter if you live in a villa or you live in one of those premium homes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you came today and you have one of those, just a regular standard golf cart or we got one that's really decked out with those big tires that spin around, right? doesn't matter if you have one of that. It doesn't matter if you come, came in shorts today or you got a, came in a suit and a really cool pink tie that's a designer tie that some people love but some people hate and they love to tell me that. That's okay too, right? It doesn't matter matter. That's the point. Paul says, listen, don't think of yourself higher than other people because we're all just one in Jesus Christ. And then I close with this uh, today, and I think this is really, really powerful. And once again, just my last little teaching moment, and it's on the back part of your card. Let me just share with you in the last minute today. And so he says, you know what? Let love be your genuine be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with, your, with mutual affection. And so what's very interesting is Paul's teaching here, there's two different words for the word in the Greek, evil. So there's evil, which is ponos, P-O-N-E-R-O-S, which means this, it causes pain or hardship. It means that sometimes, just like in this relationship with them back in the 1957s between Elizabeth and, and her, um, that their relationship had deteriorated and it was kind of heartbreaking. But the idea is that we all have to look inwardly. And that's what Paul is trying to get at. So there's this, this version of evil. And, and you know what? The reality is we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul talks about that, but we all have some kind of what I call this evilness that means that through our thoughts and our words or our deeds that we are sinful people. And this is what happens in our life. And so Paul calls and he says, listen, we need to look at ourselves. This is that kind of evil. But then he says there's also this kind of evil. This is kakos, K-A-K-O-S, which means just filled with malice and intentional hurt. And Paul says, this is, how do you overcome that? And Paul says, which is exactly what happened between that whole thing about when, I mean, this, this kind of evil had everything to do with what was going with Hazel and, and her hatred toward Elizabeth that day. And Paul says, listen, how do you overcome that? You overcome it by loving people. Because love is greater than hate. Can they been on that? So then he says, and then I love this because John Wesley gave us these three general rules. He says, avoid evil, do what is good, and do the thing that helps you continue to fall in love with God. You defeat evil with love. Paul. The risks and the rewards. So I woke up at like 3.30 this morning and I had this, once again, I was thinking about my sermon today and I didn't put this on the card because it just came to me at 3.30 this morning. And so um, this is the story that came to me. I close with this. Is that once upon a time, there was a guy that came to Jesus. Matter of fact, this is a really important story because it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they did all three. Once upon a time, there's a guy who came to Jesus. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. He says, Jesus, what do I need to inherit the kingdom of God? 
And then Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commands. And the guy says, well, I've done that. Been there and done that. Jesus kind of lays them all out. And then finally, Jesus says to him, I thought this was an interesting detail. This one is found in the Gospel of Mark. And what's very powerful about the detail is that before Jesus responded, Jesus, it says that Jesus loved him. Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. The risk and the reward. And according to the story that's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the rich young ruler walked away, sadly, because he had a lot to give up. And Paul's point is, if we're gonna be transformed and we're gonna be living reminders, living sacrifice for Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, are you all in or not? I mean, are you really all in or not? That's a powerful question for us to contemplate today. 